In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful. And may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you once again for joining us in Life, the Islamic Answer a series in which we're trying to extract the principles to live Islamically in a complex world based on the teachings of the Holy Qur'an and the narrations of the Holy Prophet and Ahlul Bayt, peace and blessings upon them. In our last lesson, we focused on trying to understand what intentions and sincerity and intention mean in a more practical way. And so we tried to do this by looking on one side at what intentions are, practically speaking, and what intentions are not. And uh, one of the points that we spent a little bit more time on was the idea that rituals, the acts of worship, acts of obedience in our religion in themselves do not amount to much unless they have an intent, uh, an intention behind them. The value, the worth, the significance, the merit of an act of worship is acquired from the intention that is behind that act of worship. Otherwise, the same act loses its significance if there is no adequate, no proper uh, intention that is the drive behind it, the motive behind it. And of course, this also highlights to us the idea that it becomes necessary to acquire knowledge about these acts of worship so that we know what we're doing, so that we're not performing acts that are simply you know, physical movements, for instance, empty rituals that do not carry any significance spiritually to us. Okay, so this once again brings us back to the idea or the importance of knowledge. Today, inshallah, we want to continue with this with the next topic in this uh, theme of sincerity and this theme, this theme of intention or good intentions, righteous intentions. This time we want to look at the consequences. So now that we understand everything we've said about having good intentions, all the way to having sincerity, ikhlas, and intentions, we want to look at some of the consequences of actually having these good intentions, of having this good niyyah, niyyah hasana, and all the way to having ikhlas. What does it mean? What does it do? What are the actual repercussions on that on our lives? So, of course, we're not going to be focusing only, and I think this is perhaps the idea that many of us will have is that the repercussions or the consequences of uh, having good intentions, having sincerity, are only going to be seen in the afterlife with having good rewards, for instance. So inshallah, that part is clear and it will be mentioned in some of the narrations, but our focus is beyond that. So we want to go a little bit beyond, this, let's say, the superficial understanding. What does it mean for the way we live? What does it mean for our lives? What are the consequences, practically speaking, of having right, 
virtuous, right, righteous intentions in this world, for this world, and for the next world. So before jumping into the consequences, there is one kind of very minor topic that I wanted to address very quickly. I think it fits ni nicely here. So I'll simply mention two quick narrations about it, and then we'll move on to the consequences. And this is the topic of where do these intentions actually stem from? Where do the, our intentions or the sincerity, where does it come from? So there are two narrations that I thought I'd mention because I think they, they carry a lot of very good points, a lot of deep points in them, and I leave them with you without too much commentary. The first one is from Imam Ali alayhi salam. Actually, they're both from Imam Ali alayhi salam. The first one, uh, he says, حُسْنُ النِّيَّةِ مِنْ سَلَامَةِ الطَّوِيَّةِ حُسْنُ النِّيَّةِ مِنْ سَلَامَةِ الطَّوِيَّةِ What's tawiyah? Tawiyah is your uh, inner state. Okay, so we can refer to it as your spiritual world, your mind, your heart, your conscience. He says, حُسْنُ النِّيَّةِ Having virtuous, good, righteous intent stems from a sound conscience. So this is already telling us that there is something deeper. When we look at an intent, when we look at ikhlas, we've said a few times that ikhlas is a state, but it's coming from some, somewhere deeper from within us. There is a state of being that we're in that allows this type of uh, a very intentional act, spiritual act, which is I intend to, to have a will to perform, a will to do or a will to be in a certain state that is even more deep, more fundamental than that. So Imam Ali salam is saying that if you find that you are able to have these good intents, good intentions, if you're able to have this ikhlas, know that this is coming from somewhere deeper within you and that depth at that level, it has to be good in order to generate these good intents. Okay? Which means what? Which means that we always have the potential to modify that very deep level. No one should ever think that that's the way I am and therefore I'm always stuck with having a, a specific type of thought or a specific type of intent or I'm always going to be lacking ikhlas or I'm always going to have ikhlas. Uh, uh, I'm satisfied and happy with my level. No, this is always changing. It could always become better or worse. And if you are able to have it, so don't, because as we said, it's an abstract notion, this notion of intent, uh, intentions or ikhlas, and it's difficult. So before we even look at that, we have to look at our normal by default state. Are we in a good place? Is it sound? Is it healthy? Is it healthy spiritually? Because the healthier we are, very deep down, the more we are going to be able to generate these good intentions. Okay? So the Imam here is saying, To have a uh, good soul, good heart, good conscience, that's going to be the foundation in order to generate good intentions, righteous, virtuous intentions. So this is only to highlight, in addition to what we said, this is also to highlight that you see, it's not enough to say, okay, starting tomorrow, I'm going to start having good intentions. The imam is telling us here there's something more fundamental that may need fixing, that may need to be worked on. Okay? What is my, my, my heart? What does it look like? 
my conscience, what does it look like? My soul, is it clean? Is it pure? I may be requiring a bit of time to work on that so that then when I have intentions, the intentions that are coming out of it are good intentions. Okay? And in a way, none of us are going to have a perfect foundation. But if we work on that foundation and improve it, it means that those good intentions are going to come much more easily. It's much less of a struggle for that good intention to come, for that ikhlas to be achieved. Okay, so that's the first hadith. The second hadith is the opposite end. So not only is it to highlight that this works both ways, but it's also because there's something that, in case this is not clear in the first hadith, I thought the second hadith will make it clear. And I said, I'll just give you two hadith here. So the first one is, husn al-niyyah min salamat al-tawiyyah. The second one also from Imam Ali alayhi salam, in which he says, to have bad intentions, to have an evil intent, is a deeply buried illness. Da'un is an illness, it's a sickness, it's a disease. Da'un dafin. Dafin is to bury something. Dafin means it's buried very deep. Da'un dafin. So to have bad intentions is a type of illness, it's a type of disease that is very deeply buried. Buried where? Buried in us, buried in our soul. This is the same conscience we were talking about. If you're able to have those good intentions, it's because that deeper foundation is good. On the opposite side, if you feel, if you find yourself having bad intents, bad intentions, evil intentions, it's also coming from the same place, deep within you. But in this case, the Imam is saying it's deeply buried. So the depth is there. And I want to say a couple of things about the depth. That's one. Two, it can trigger the negative, the evil, the bad, just as it triggers the good. But it all depends on its nature. How good is it? If it's good, it produces good. If it's rotten, it produces rotten. Okay? Um, a couple of things. When the Imam says it's a da, it's an illness, it's a sickness, it's a disease, as we said, of the soul, of the heart, of the spirit, therefore it needs a remedy. Every time you see this word used in the parables and the metaphors and the Holy Quran and the narrations, as soon as there is marad, there's da, you have to think that this is not to say, therefore, there is no chance left for you and you're done and it's the end of the road. This means that if it's an illness, if it's a sickness, if it's a disease, you have to work on it to cure it. It has a cure. So work on it to cure it. That's one. The second point is that when the imam says it's deeply buried, it means that it's not going to be that easy. So get prepared. Get ready because you're going to have to do a lot of work to get to the bottom of it. You get to the depth of it. That's second point. The third point when the imam says that it's deeply buried, it means what? It means that it's not apparent. That it requires a bit of observation. It may require a little bit of self-examination to see, do I have this issue or not? Because it may not be apparent. At the surface, it may not show. So I have to really objectively and honestly examine myself to see, does this apply to me or not? Because it might be hidden very far below the surface. That's why the Imam says, 
It's deeply buried. It's not at the surface. It's not a shallow burial. Okay? The Holy Quran, when it talks about our soul, in Surah Al-Shams, it says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا Dasaha means the one who buries it. That person has failed and lost miserably. Okay? The one who is fortunate and successful is the one who has purified that soul. Okay? Zakaha made it grow, made it pure. That's tazkiyah. On the opposite said, وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا The one who buries the soul. The soul is the soul. But there are people who decide to bury that nature, that conscience, that pure heart that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us, it's always there, but some people decide to bury it so that it's not there. Okay? So it works both ways. In this case, when it's buried deep, it becomes a disease. So Imam Ali alayhi salam is saying this is a deeply buried disease. It needs a cure. It needs to be identified and then cured so that it doesn't keep generating, triggering these su'unniyah, these evil or bad intentions. These were the two ahadith that I wanted to talk about here. And then we can move into the topic that we wanted to focus on for today, which is the consequences of having sincere, good intentions. So I'm going to try to present these in a few categories. The categories are not, you know, black and white, cleanly cut, but I think it will help to look at them as categories. That's first. Secondly, keep in mind that a lot of these hadith, they have multiple dimensions to them. We are going to be focusing on some dimensions more than others to highlight the categories, but the truth is all of these dimensions are there. And the true consequences of having good intentions, the true consequences of having achieving sincerity are only going to be clear at the end. So I'm going to leave that part up to you. I don't think we're going to have time to. As I present each one of these benefits, each one of these consequences of having good categories, keep it in mind so that, so that at the end you put all of this together. You can't just say it was only the first category, you know, the first benefit or the first consequence. Put them all together and see what you get if you are able to achieve sincerity in terms of consequences. If you have good intentions, if you have pure intentions, if you achieve sincerity, here are some of the types, categories of benefits or consequences that you get. The first group, the first set of consequences is what I simply refer to as achieving success. Okay, so let's look at some hadith here. The first hadith comes from Imam Ali alayhi salam in which he says, عود نفسك حسن النية وجميل القصد تدرك في مساعيك النجاح Train yourself to have righteous intentions and good aims, virtuous objectives. This, this requires training. And your attempts or your efforts will be successful. Okay? So this success... Is it success only in religious matters? No. The Imam's talking about any success you're looking for. This uh, application of good intentions or sincerity of intentions 
is now going to become a secret, a key that we can use in every aspect of our lives. If it's well applied, if it's well used, the imam says you achieve success. So train yourself. There's a reason why the imam says, this requires enough training to become a habit. Okay? To have righteous intents, intentions and to have virtuous objectives. Your aims have to be good aims. And the result of this is tudrik fi masa'ikam najah. And then your attempts, your efforts will be met with success. Here, a few points. The first point is that good intents are therefore going to, they don't happen on their own. In the previous two ahadith, we saw that they come from very deep within. But here the imam is being very explicit that this is something you control. This is something you can exercise and train yourself and be, make it into a habit. So this requires first knowledge, awareness. And once you're aware of it, you need to work on it and train yourself so that by default, it becomes your normal state to have good intentions. That's first point. Second point. For this hadith and every other hadith that we're going to look at today, you're going to see that the easy, quick way that most of us are probably going to interpret these is to always focus on the afterlife. Unless there is something in the hadith that tells us that this is about the afterlife or that it applies only to thawab, you know, divine uh, spiritual rewards, this is going to apply to our worldly living in general. So when the imam talks about here as well as many, in fact, most of the hadith that we're going to look at today, when he says that you're going to achieve success, he's not only talking about, let's say, spiritual success and gain thawab. So this is, we have to think, how do I apply this into my life in a practical way? A question that we may have here is to say, okay, why is it that if you have good intentions, to have husnaniya, to have a good intent, why is it that it's going to lead to drik najah? Why is it that you're going to be able to achieve success, right? To to make it, to to be victorious, to be successful at the end. Why? And here we can give a lot of answers. The first answer we can give, and this one I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I know some of you like to research and think, and so I leave that with you. This is a deeper answer. There seems to be an alignment between our true primordial nature, our fitrah, the way we were created, and the world. In fact, that makes sense because we are part of this world. The difference is that the world out there is the part that we don't control. It is in a certain way as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it with all of its laws, with all of its mysteries and secrets and how it operates. The part that we do control and we can change is ourselves, is that deep nature. Whether we decide to use it or not or which faculties within us we decide to use and not to use. The more I align myself with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the rest of existence, the more I'm going to feel good. So that there's a, a benefit to me 
and the more I'm going to be like the rest of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at the rest of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you see everything is working as it's supposed to. You don't see a planet deciding, for instance, not to perform its orbit in the way it's supposed to, right? The only thing in nature that doesn't do as it's supposed to is us. So it's as though the world is already predisposed, predetermined in a certain way. And that way is towards the good. The only exception is us. We may decide to go in a different direction or align ourselves like the rest of the world to do as we're supposed to do. And if you align yourself with how the rest of the world is, then everything becomes easier for you. To go towards in the same direction as the current of existence is going is much easier than to go in the opposite direction. And that general direction, that general current is towards the good. If you go more deeply into the verses of the Quran, this is a topic I said I I won't talk about, but just a, a couple of things. If you look at the verses of the Quran that talk about existence in general, this is the entire philosophy of existence as we understand is that everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala initially and everything is going back to Him. Everything has been created in a way that the Quran refers to as it's been guided. Its path has been shown to it and it's moving on that path. Except the human being. The human being has been given free will. So he may decide, I'm going to go in the other direction. If you go in the other direction, you're going against your own nature and you're going against the general current of existence. So when Imam Ali salam says, to the intent that you're, to the extent that your intentions are good, you're going to achieve success. Yes, he's actually saying that if you go in the general direction you're meant to go, everything is a lot easier. And of course, you have much more chances of achieving what you're trying to do than to go in the opposite direction. Okay, so that's a deeper answer. It requires a much, much lengthier discussion, but this is just a kind of a reference to it. Another reason. Another reason is that when the Imam says, train yourself to have these good thoughts and good intentions so that you achieve success, success doesn't come easy. Success requires certain things to happen so that you achieve it. And it starts where? It starts in your mind. You have to think about it. You have to plan. You have to start thinking, how do I work towards it? So this becomes your first step. The Imam is not saying this is the only step. This becomes a step, but it's an important step to move in that direction. Okay, that's the second part of the answer. A third part of the, uh, of the answer is that, and we spent a lot of time on this, so I, I won't talk about it too long. When we talked about good intentions and sincerity, ikhlas, we showed the link between ikhlas and discipline. To have ikhlas means you become focused exclusively on something. So of course someone who is able to achieve ikhlas, who is able not to mix all sorts of things in the equation. Ikhlas means, you know, when you do uh, this for instance, is when you filter 
things out and you leave the one thing that you want at the end and you extract it, right? Ikhlas comes from that, is that you focus on one thing and that's the thing that you're going to be taken out. You purify, you cleanse and you take the one thing you select, you choose. Someone who's able to do that at the level of their mind, at the level of their heart, is someone who has a lot of internal discipline. And therefore, this is the link. You want to achieve success, success requires work. Of course, someone who has an ability to constantly have those good intentions all the way to having ikhlas, of course, they're going to have the discipline to achieve success. Okay, so that's another part of the answer. In, in today's world, they say, you know, your inner state, you're able to become uh, laser-focused, as they say, right? It's a huge problem in today's world. What's your ability to focus on something and not be distracted? Okay, the next answer that we wanted to give here, ultimately, ultimately it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying, given the authenticity of this hadith and the many others that we're going to see in the same vein exactly, you take care of the ikhlas, you take care, you give me the inner part, the spiritual part, dedicate your mind to me, dedicate your mind to the things that are true and good, and I will take care of the rest for you. If those intents are good, I will make sure that you go much further along on your path to success. It's simply Allah that I have put in place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. Okay, so this is the other, why is it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants it to be like this. Okay, and the final point that I wanted to add here is that let us not get tricked, because this is always the issue, in thinking that success always has to mean success in this world. Okay, success in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It may show in this world, and I certainly believe that this hadith applies to this world too, but there's a lot of other factors that have to come in play. Sometimes you put in the sincere intent, but the success doesn't show in this world. Or it shows, but in an indirect way, not the way you want it. Someone might look at the revolution of Imam al-Hussein and say he was not successful. He certainly was successful. By all accounts, except perhaps the military account. Right? So the success is not always going to be the success that we want in this world, how we want it. But the success is going to be there so long as there is the right intent. So long as there is sincerity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of making sure that you are going to achieve success. But the success will show in the afterlife for sure. And in this life, it may show in different ways than you think. It may not show now. It may show later. It may not even show during your life. It may show generations after you. And it may show elsewhere in the world or in different ways than you ever thought and imagined and envisioned. Okay? So keeping all of this in mind, when the Imam says, having good intents is going to lead to success. So good intents about what? Okay, so let's look at the next hadith.
The next hadith, the Imam alayhi salam, he says, إن الله سبحانه يحب أن تكون نية الإنسان للناس جميلة كما يحب أن تكون نيته في طاعته قوية غير مدخولة For those following in Arabic, مدخول is something that is hazil or ضعيف or even fasid. Okay, so the Imam is basically saying truly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes for the intention of every individual towards the people to be a beautiful intention. And, so that's one part, and he likes for the intention of every individual towards the obedience of Allah to be strong without weakness. So these are Two very important examples. Why are they examples? Because this hadith is basically telling us Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects from us to have good intentions about everything. Before I say good, I should say we are expected to have intentions towards everything. And us being good Muslims, we're supposed to have good intentions towards everything. So that includes people. That includes worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, you have to have a position, a general attitude. What's your general attitude towards people? Some people may think, well, it depends. Are they good people or bad people? Are they close or are they enemies? Are they? The Imam here is very generic. He's giving us a universal rule. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes for his servant, likes for every one of us to have beautiful intentions towards everyone. If this title of nas applies to them, then your default position has to be that you have beautiful intentions towards them. You can't be heedless, oblivious, not think about it. No, you have to have an intention. And that intention has to be jameel, the Imam says. إِنَّ Allah subhanahu يُحِبُّ أَن تَكُونَ نِيَّةُ الْإِنسَانِ لِلنَّاسِ جَمِيلَةِ You have to have a beautiful intention towards people. And then, even more important than that one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, كَمَا يُحِبُّ As He likes, أَن تَكُونَ نِيَّتُهُ فِي طَاعَتِهِ قَوِيَّةِ we need to think about this. Do we think about what are our intentions towards our worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or do we simply perform every individual act of worship on its own? I need to take a step back and think about generally all of my worship towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's my intent? Where do I want to go with all of this? How much do I want to achieve in my worship towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my obedience towards Allah? The Imam here, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to have a thought about this, to have an intention about this, one, and to have a strong intention. Aim high, think big, have big aspirations for your state of intentions towards your worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قوي, the Imam says, قوية غير مدخولة, without any weakness that has come in between. 
that weakens that resolution that you have, that resolve that you have towards your worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't let anything weaken that. Have strong intentions of worshiping. Think big, aim high. When you think about, generally speaking, all of your worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? I think we talked about the people. Of, of course, as I said, this becomes two great examples. But what we extract from this is that these are examples. And that therefore, this goes back to the discussion we had a couple of times when we were talking about sincerity and intentions. You're supposed to have an intention towards everything. An intent towards how you are with people. An intent how you are with your worship. These are two examples. But everything else. How are you? What are your intentions towards nature? Towards your life plan? Think about it. Come up with an intent. Aim somewhere. And the imam says those things that are good, and this is a recurrent theme, when things are good, aim high. Think big. Don't be modest. The imam says if those intentions are sincere, as we saw in the first hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you and you will achieve success. Why limit yourself to something low? Go high. Go as high as you can imagine. Go even higher than you can imagine. Okay? And here there is maybe a quick remark that I wanted to make a last one about this. When the imam says he wants our intentions to be beautiful towards people. There's a difference between someone who has good intentions towards people because they're naive. Because they're innocent. Because you actually think everyone is good, because you think everyone is virtuous and righteous and, and they're only going to do good things towards you and towards others. That would definitely be naivety. That would definitely be innocence. This is the opposite of what's expected of us. And we're going to come back to that topic, inshallah. This is part of aql. Part of aql is that you're wise and you have good, strong judgment. A good, strong Muslim is never in a state of naivety. And yet you are expected to have beautiful intentions towards people. And this is the difference. We talked a little bit about it last time. Sometimes you're doing the good without really realizing you're doing the good. This is a weak form of doing the good. Randomly, without realizing, you simply matched it. You did what you're supposed to do without realizing, but there's no intent behind it. This is very different from someone who knows the nature of people, who knows that sometimes they can't be trusted and sometimes they can, and sometimes they're going to be good and sometimes not. Sometimes they're going to be two-faced and sometimes they're going to be sincere, and so on and so forth. Still, by default, your position has to be not because you're naive and you don't know any better. No, you know very well. But as a matter of intent and awareness, you decide that you're still going to have beautiful intentions towards everyone until you have a good reason not to. Okay? And then other rules kick in. But until then, you're supposed to have beautiful intentions towards everyone. The next few ahadith are in the same vein, so I think I can go a little bit faster. Imam Ali السلام, says in one of the ahadith, So it is through good intentions that plans become successful. 
or that aims are achieved. In another hadith, the Imam says, أَقْرَبُ النِّيَاتِ بِالنَّجَاحِ أَعْوَدُهَا بِالصَّلَاحِ The intentions that are most likely to succeed are the ones that are going to be most likely to return the greatest good, the most, the most positive return. Those are the ones that are most likely to succeed. So here there's a, a couple of things that I wanted to add because I think they're going to apply to the other ahadith too. There's a principle definitely at play that the imam is highlighting for us. When he says you have good intentions, you clean your intentions, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of pushing you towards success. There's definitely a principle there. Now we may need to think about how to justify it and how to explain it, and we gave some answers earlier. Three very clear areas where we can see that this applies and we can give answers to. Why is it the case that you have good intents and you achieve success more? There's a at one level, and we're going to see that in the ahadith, that's why I'm going to say it now so that I don't need to repeat it. At one level, there's a psychological dimension. Someone who knows that they have good intentions, they are someone who's going to be at peace with themselves. People who live, who live with regrets, who live with anxiety, who live in doubts and questioning, constantly thinking about, here my intentions, I know my intentions were not good, or they were only half good. Of course I'm going to be thinking about that. Completely different from the person who had good intentions. You sleep very well at night when you have good intentions, regardless of the outcome, because that's the only part that you really control. What was your intention behind it? If the intent was good, psychologically, it's going to help. So of course it's going to help be in a much better state to try to achieve success. Of course the likelihood of achieving success is going to be greater. You're psychologically, you have serenity, you have peace, you have tranquility, right? You're psychologically sound, psychologically strong. You don't have constantly these things that come and blur your mind and make you question and doubt and be anxious. That's one. Secondly, you have clarity of where you're going. And this is something that they constantly teach, even the, I've talked about this in the past, the very high-performing athletes or people in business or in any other area where it's highly competitive, highly stressful, there are coaches that are hired, usually in psychology, who teach you how to visualize. You have to visualize that you're winning. You have to visualize that you're successful. Basically, you have to imagine it, but you really imagine it in every detail. You have to be able to smell it and feel it. You know, how, how would the sun feel on your skin in that specific situation? Why do they do that? Because the more clarity you have of where you're going, and of course this visualization is going to help, the better chances you have of achieving it. This is how our mind works. So someone who has very clear intentions of where they're going of course they're going to have much more success of getting there. Okay? So this is at the psychological level. At the social level, they also have a lot more chances of reaching success because people are attracted to people who do good and who seem to be sincere. And strangely enough, we all seem to have an internal radar. When someone is not sincere, we kind of feel it. 
we kind of feel that this person is probably not doing it for all the right intentions. It doesn't mean we necessarily stay away. Sometimes we can still benefit from what they're doing, even though their intentions may not be good. But we are usually able, to a large extent, depending on our ability of deciphering this, our emotional intelligence, uh, EQ as they call it, to read people and to understand to what extent are they sincere or not here. Usually human beings are pretty good at telling if someone is sincere and they have good intentions. And when you do that, usually people are attracted to that. They're willing to help and they're willing to forgive if you make mistakes because their intentions were good. Okay? So at a social level, you may get a lot more support to reach that success if you have good intentions and you're sincere in your behavior. And then, of course, there is, as we said, the spiritual effect. It seems that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, the more you have sincerity in your actions, the more I make things easy for you. Okay, so there's a spiritual effect to it. The next hadith, the Imam says, So, it is through the purification of intentions that success is achieved. So, this does not require any more explanation based on everything we've said until now. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, مَنْ أَخْلَصَ بَلَغَ الْآمَالِ مَنْ أَخْلَصَ سَلَامٌ عَلَيْكُمْ رَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ مَنْ أَخْلَصَ بَلَغَ الْآمَالِ The one whose intentions are pure will reach their hopes. So once again, an application of everything we've said until now. To summarize all of this, the Imam says in two words, أَخْلِصْ تَنَلْ so we can't say it in two words purify for instance purify your intentions your intents and you will reach you will achieve you will get to that success that you're trying to achieve on the negative side we also have a few narrations very quickly a few narrations one of them from Imam Ali السلام, in which he says مَنْ سَاءَ عَزْمُهُ رَجْعَ عَلَيْهِ سَهْمُهُ So the one who has a azm, a resolution or an intent that is bad, that is evil, the one whose resolve has gone bad, his share shall return against him. Or his arrow, depending on what sahm means, shall return against him. Okay, The same notion that we had, but before it was good intents. He was saying, Right? Here he's talking about So this is when your inside is going in the wrong direction. Okay, so the positive and the negative, they work. The one part of this, for sure, if your intents have to do with something spiritual, that of course it has to do with anything that will show in the afterlife, that part is going to be clear. The idea here is, in many cases, in the in our worldly affairs, this will also be the case. When your intents are not good, when your intents have evil, bad in them, this is going to come back to you eventually, somehow, some way. Okay? In the next one, see the Imam alayhi salam, in one of his ad'iyah, he says, Allahumma ghfirli ma taqarrabtu bihi ilayka bilisani 
ثُمَّ قَلْبِي O my Lord, forgive me that which brought me closer to you through my tongue, through my speech. I said things that should get me closer to you. Those things are things you like. They bring me nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, But then I went and contradicted it with my heart. My heart contradicted that. And here this is a topic we've talked about, so I won't spend too much time on it. But notice here, the many of us, when we try to focus on trying to you know, not have this hypocrisy of saying something and not doing it, not matching action and speech, we focus on action. Whereas we have a lot of narrations, especially from Imam Ali salam, including this one, where the Imam is not even talking about action. He's going much deeper. He's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Oh God, forgive me for that which brought me closer to you in speech. It's not that I contradicted it in my action. I contradict, contradicted it in my heart. My intentions contradicted that. The sincerity and the intent was not there did not match what I'm saying in words. So does it count? When we went through the ahadith, we saw you may not get a sin registered against you for an evil thought. Here the imam is not even talking about necessarily an evil thought. He's saying that his intents are not matching the words. That's all. He's not saying that there was something of a disobedience or a sin committed here by the heart. He's simply saying that it's not matching. He's asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive those. Of course, we don't believe the imam has any such things, but he's still asking for them. But this makes us, you know, adds to the, the level of carefulness that we have to have when we recite these ad'iyah. What are we actually saying? Do we actually believe it? Do we intend to live by those things that we're reciting in the dua or not? So one thing is to say, I act based on it or not. That's one level. At another level, it's to, do I intend to live by it? Or am I just saying the words to say the words? These are two different levels. Okay? I'll go to the next hadith. The next hadith from Imam Sadiq salam, he says, and this is a hadith I've said in the past, in completely different contexts. In al and we have a few narrations like this. This one is very clear. In al rizq. A believer, the believer or a believer, may intend to perform a sin. And because of this, because they intended to perform a sin, they will be depriving themselves of a rizq, of a sustenance. And we have another hadith in which Imam Sadiq explains this more. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may prescribe, may decide, may yaktub, he decides that someone is going to get a specific rizq. A rizq for which you asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You performed dua and vocation, you supplicated Allah to give you something. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that for which you were asking Allah. 
but then you go and intend to perform a sin. This person did not perform the sin. He intended to perform the sin, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes that rizq, so instead of coming, it will not come anymore. Or at least it may be delayed. Okay? And this is where we have to understand. Sometimes, unfortunately, some of us are only going to think about things in terms of reward and punishment. There's thawab, there's aqab. Well, we saw the hadith that say when you intend to do something good, you get a reward. And when you do it, you get a lot more reward. But if you intend to do something bad, you don't get a sin. In fact, there are hadith that say, and we went through one of them, that say you actually get a reward so long as you don't perform the sin. Even when you intend to do something bad, so long as you don't perform it. But then if you perform it, you get a sin. And some of us think that it's okay to live on the edge like this. So long as I don't perform the sin, I can think about whatever I want. No. There is more than just reward and punishment. You are missing out on some things, even at the level of intent, even if you're not translating that into actions. This is one example. The intent that you have is going to change things in the real world out there. For instance, you deprive yourself of something that was supposed to come to you. And suddenly, because of those bad intentions, evil intentions, sins, that thing will not come to you anymore. And that's what we've been talking about all along. Discipline. Discipline in and the level of thought. Thought becomes action. As soon as there's something that may lead to something good, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala highlights it for us. He says, control your thoughts, control your intentions, even though it's not a sin, there are still things happening. Be careful, don't go too far in your thoughts. Control them. The next topic here, continuing with success, a little bit more uh, specifics in these ahadith. So, what are the types of success that the majority of us look at? Well, we want people to like us. We want to gain money. We want to be able to achieve uh, our dreams. We want to things that are, you know, achievements, whatever we consider success. So we want to look at some hadith that touch on this. In the first one, Imam Ali salam says, Man hasunat niyatuh. Kathurat mathubatuh. That's one. Watabat ishatuh. Wawajabat mawaddatuh. In English, the one who has made his intentions good will have ample rewards. So if we want to put them in, in categories, this is in the afterlife. Okay, so this is the divine spiritual reward that you get in the afterlife. This is a mathuba. Kathurat mathubatu. They will have ample rewards. Watabat ishatu. They will have a good living. So there's a whole lot that can be said here. It could be psychological, that you're happy, that you're satisfied, contented in life. And it could also be that you have a life where everything is provided for you. You make enough money, you live enough in enough comfort, you're not needy of anything else. This can be applied to tabat ishatu. You have a good life. Wa wajabat mawaddatu. And affection 
towards this person has also become incumbent. Okay, so this is at a social level. Who doesn't want any of these? Someone that they tell you, if you do this, if you're able to achieve this, you get the reward in the afterlife, but not the normal reward. Your reward is multiplied. And you're going to live a good life, and people are going to love you. Who doesn't want any of these? What else is missing in the life of this person? And the only thing that Imam mentioned to get all of that is man hasunat niyatu. To have good intentions, good intent. And we said the high level of that is sincerity, ikhlas. A couple of ahadith here, continuing in the same vein again, from Imam Ali alayhi salam, both of them. The first one, al-mukhlis hariyun bil-ijabah. The one who has sincerity, the one who is sincere, is worthy of being answered. Of course, once again, the clear meaning is the spiritual meaning. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to answer the one who is asking him with sincerity. The second meaning here is that beyond Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the answer of a dua. Someone who asks for your help. Someone who wants to work with you. Someone who needs anything. When they are sincere, they are much more worthy of being answered. Right? And this is where we say these double meanings in the ahadith that we find. There is a spiritual dimension that affects the afterlife. For sure it's there. A lot of these ahadith also have a worldly dimension. The next hadith. This one, I thought it was an application. It's an application specifically to political rule. But I thought it was an important one. The imam is teaching someone what to do in order to create an environment that is socially just. He says, Ista'in ala al-adl With what? Ista'in ala al-adl niyati so this is what we saw until now. But now the imam is being more specific because he's talking about a specific situation. In this case, political rule. And for that political rule, he wants to establish social justice. So gain support to achieve justice through good intentions towards your subjects and a lack of greed and an abundance of piety, abundance of religiousness, fear of God. So here the aim is a very noble and just aim. This is someone who is trying to achieve Justice. This is how we apply it. Everything that we've said, now the imam is applying it. First of all, is what I'm trying to achieve something noble and something honorable and something good or not? In this case, this is someone who is trying to achieve social justice. Of course, it's something very noble and honorable and good. Secondly, I want to make sure that my intentions towards that are true and good and sincere. So the imam here is saying, 
in order to achieve social justice, where does it start? Does it start with going and leading a campaign and communicating and giving speeches? And no, I'm the one who's supposed to lead this. I have to start from inside of myself and make sure that my intention for doing this is good. So the Imam says, make sure your intentions are sincere. That's first. Towards whom? Towards the ra'iyah, towards your subjects. What will that give you? As we said earlier in the ahadith, people can know. People know if you're sincere towards them. And you're really, everything that you're doing, because you may not be doing things that they like to achieve that social justice. In order to get there, I may have to take from you and take from you to give to him and to help her. Why would you help me? Why would you not resist this? Oh, because I'm sincere. I'm really trying to achieve social justice. That sincerity, people recognize it, they will help me. Okay, so the Imam says, be sincere towards the people. And what else? And here's the key. We've saw, we saw a lot of ahadith that may give a false impression. And I wanted to correct it with this one. Is it enough to simply intend something to achieve that success? That's a big objection that we haven't addressed yet. Because nowadays in society, there is that misconception out there. Let's finish the hadith and I'll talk about it. The imam says, no, you have to do two things. Where? Still at, at the level of my mind? No. You do have to cleanse. You have to purify your intentions. That people see that you're sincere. But your actions have to match that too. And so the imam says, you stay away from greed because you can have all the good, right, righteous intentions in the world. If you're greedy, you're contradicting all of those intentions. And it will show. That's one. And secondly, And to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is all at the level of action now. Those intents became reality. So what's this issue? And this is something, as I said, that we saw in a lot of the ahadith that we talked about. Someone may get the impression that we're talking about these teachings. They're basically saying, all you need to do to achieve success is to have good intentions. And then success will happen on its own. So this would be looking at one of these ahadith without understanding anything else from religion or these other ahadith. And this is one good example where the imam you see, he says, yes, you can achieve social justice by starting with good intentions, but you need more. You need to incorporate action in there. What's the issue nowadays in society? And this, of course, has crept elsewhere. There is something that began, this is a very ancient belief, and it was kind of, it had gone occult, was dissimulated, hidden in very small circles here and there until about, about a century and a half ago. It re-emerged and then it, it recently, in the past few, less than a century, in the last maybe 80 years or so, it's emerged a lot more. This is a notion or a belief or a principle or call it whatever you want. It's called the law of attraction. 
and it has different formulations. The idea, we are told, is that by focusing your energy and your thoughts on positive things, you can attract those things that you're focusing on into your life. And so if anyone has anything that is desirable in this world, the truth is they were able to achieve it with, their, with this law of attraction. They thought about it enough, they focused their energy, their mental energy on it enough that it attracted it into their lives. Okay, and this has become a very popular trend depending on you know, what you read and what you're exposed to and what you know from what's going on in society. This is a very popular trend. It's used in mental health, it's used in empowerment, it's used in life coaching, it's used all over the place. And you have some very big names supporting it. Deepak Chopra, for instance, people like uh, Eckhart Tolle uh, and others, this is what they support. Eckhart Tolle calls this manifestation. Okay, so he says if you're able to focus on things, it brings them to you. The only condition is you, it should not be something selfish. You're not doing it for ego, he says. Okay, and I'm going to come back to that point. But that's the idea. The idea is that you focus on things that you desire, that you want, that you want to achieve, that you want to bring into your life. If you focus enough on them, only on the positive, in a positive way, never negative, never negatively, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. That's not the point. The point is to say there is already a misconception out there. There's a number of books that have been extremely influential. One of them was called, for instance, um, Think and Grow Rich. That was one of the first. Think and grow rich. That's how you're going to grow rich, by thinking about it. You think enough about it. You focus on it. Okay, and the people, of course, there are studies done on that author specifically. They said he was a fraud and he, he made up all sorts of stories about his life and so on and so forth. Napoleon Hill, his name. And there's others, right? The power of positivity, positive thinking. Uh, one of the biggest ones very recently, and it became even more popular because Oprah endorsed it, was a movie that was made into a book and it's become a whole enterprise. It's The Secret for those who have heard about The Secret, there's a movie and there's a book and it's a whole movement. It's all based on the idea of the law of attraction. That you focus on the things that are positive and you bring them into your life. Is this what we're talking about when we say the Imam, we saw a few narrations from Imam Ali alayhi salam, basically saying, clean up your intentions, have sincerity, have good intentions, and you will achieve success. How is this different? Is this not what we're saying? That's the question. So in short, no, of course that's not what we're saying. This idea that we're talking about and we're saying that it was a very ancient belief that have has re-emerged recently is actually very dangerous for a number of reasons. It can completely confuse people if you actually believe this. So you're focused on things that are good, and then in your life something bad happens. 
or you just keep thinking that, you know, I focused really for a very long time on some positive things and they're just not entering into my life. So what's happening? Is it just that I'm not focusing enough on them for long enough, with enough intensity, whatever it may be? And the danger is you may not be doing enough action to get there. You think that simply by literally, literally, without, you know, literally what this is, is wishful thinking. That's the danger. That if I wish it enough, it will happen. If I want it enough, it will happen. Because my entire being is focused on this one thing. So human beings act like cosmic uh, transmission antennas. And you're going to attract those types of energies out there. And one way that this has been understood and explained is based on science, actually. Where, you know, everything in the world, everything in the universe is energy. And so you're focusing your energy on things and that's what will attract them. And there's another side which has explained all of this through, let's call it spiritism and the occult sciences. There's someone, so people interested in, in, in witchcraft and other things like that. They say this is how spirits get things done in the world. Blavatsky and others, they've written about this. Okay, so regardless of how all of this is explained, the idea is that you focus on things, you attract them to you. And as we said, we consider this to be extremely dangerous. Okay, why is it dangerous? It's dangerous, as we said, psychologically, there's an issue there. That's the first thing. The second thing is, and I always tell people this, I don't use the word dangerous lightly. When I say there's an idea that's dangerous, why is it dangerous? Sometimes we can say, you know, this is fluff. It doesn't hold any water and that's it. Usually the danger comes from the fact that something holds some truth. This is where something becomes dangerous. So if you only focus on the true part of a theory and you don't look at the rest, it may look like there's something good here. Why don't we just take the good part in it? Okay, and this is something, inshallah, we'll come back to later in, in the series. Okay, there's a reason why we talk about this to establish there are things that are Islamic teachings. If Islam is teaching it, we should probably be taking it from Islam and not from elsewhere for a very good reason. Okay, inshallah, we'll come back to that later. In this case, those who have explained these theories, the law of attraction in all of its variants, and there's a lot of them, they've explained it in some very good, powerful ways. And as we saw in the ahadith, there does seem to be merit to some of it. It is supported, except at one level. And that's the biggest level, the level that matters the most. All of these movements are very indicative of the place of religion and spirituality in modern world, in our modern world. And inshallah later in the series, when we're going to talk about the types of knowledge, we're going to talk about knowledge of the world. And one of the things that I think is important is to understand how does religion and spirituality fit in today's modern world. A lot of us think, you know, this modern world has no place for religion. And we live in secular societies that are trying to push religion out. That's not very accurate. Religion is in fact very present and perhaps even more present than before. It's just not called religion. And this is an example of it. The law of attraction. All of these new thought, new age movements, 
they have something very common that is very aligned with modern philosophy, with the times. This is something I call self-worship. If you worship yourself enough, if you empower yourself enough, the entire focus is on the self, then you're able to achieve everything. Success, happiness, fulfillment, whatever it may be, just focus on yourself. Self, self, self. You and your own individual self. This is the modern times. And so what happened is that while the idea may be good, the big ingredient that's missing here is God. That's it. When you add the God ingredient in this equation, it changes everything. Then it makes sense why we live in a world where there are good people who have good intentions and good thoughts and bad things happen to them in this world. And you have bad people with bad intentions and good things happen to them. And you have good people have good intent, good things happen to them, and you have bad people who have bad things happen to them. Why? How is this fair? Well, it's only not fair if you only look at this world. If all there is is only this world, yeah, it's true, it's not fair. Someone who's good, they've done nothing and something bad happens to them. Why? That's not fair. I agree with you. It wouldn't be fair if there's no afterlife where everything is going to be rewarded and punished. Everything is going to be compensated. Something bad happened to you, was it supposed to? Because you attracted it, then that's fair. You didn't, you will be compensated for it. How did you handle it? Did you do what you're supposed to do? Why? Because this whole world is a world of test. The good and the bad of this world is a test. The good does not necessarily come to you because you thought it or didn't think it. Because you deserve it or don't deserve it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to test someone. They don't deserve it, but he wants to test them with the good. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to test someone with something bad. Do you deserve it? No. You don't deserve to get sick. You don't deserve to lose a loved one. Not because you deserve it. It's not about what, who deserves what. And I don't deserve this. And they don't deserve that. And why don't bad things happen to bad people? All of it is just a test. This is not what matters because things don't end here. If existence ended here, if the whole system was limited to this world, it would be very unfair. The issue is that when God was removed out of the equation, people feel frustrated. They're lost. They're confused. They lost control. So you see this re-emerge in these movements, in spiritual movements, in the law of attraction, in new age uh, religions, thoughts, new thought movements as they call them. All of them is trying to re-empower the individual, to give you a false sense that you're the one who controls this. If only you knew what the secret was. That's why it's called the secret. If you knew what the secret is, you'll see how at the end, you are still the one who controls everything. But is it true that you control it? Of course not. The bad may still come and the good may still not come and so on and so forth.
But all of this is an indication of something much deeper happening spiritually in society. And you see all of these. The issue is not that there's someone who comes up with a, this very interesting idea. That's not the issue. The question is how come there are so many people who believe in it, who change their entire lives around it? They rebuild their lives around this. Why do these books and these movements, why do they become bestsellers? And everybody jumps on the bandwagon and then I have to talk about it because I see people in our communities being affected by these ways of thinking and ways of being. Because there are issues happening in society that are affecting us spiritually. But as good Muslims, this is not supposed to be affecting us. If we understand our place in the world, why do we exist? Why did God put us here? What it means to be in a world that is a world of testing and tribulation and difficulties. Why do you get a reward? Why do you get a thawab? You don't get a reward for something easy. There has to be an achievement. I recognize your achievement. I give you a trophy. I give you a medal. I give you a reward. You went through something difficult. There's an uphill battle. If it's just a plain field and everything is easy, there's no test. So those difficulties come our way, not because we thought about them or didn't think about them. This world is a world of difficulties. The test is specifically to see how are we going to act when things are easy? And then how are we going to act when things are really difficult? What if it's about me, my health, my body? What if it's about my family? What if it's about society? What if it's about my values? Is it about money, health, family? All sorts of troubles. Each one of us will go through their fair share of them because that's the whole point of living here. And it's not about the law of attraction that you thought about it enough or didn't think about it enough. You focused your energy in the right way, in the wrong way that brought the good or didn't bring the good. That has nothing to do with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intends to do things and how he plans it. This is a much bigger topic. It falls under qada and qadar. The Holy Quran says, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That's it. You can have all the laws of attraction you want at the end of the day. It's whether Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills or doesn't will for something to come your way or not. And all of that is part of a bigger plan. Okay, so inshallah, let's stop here and we'll continue uh, where we left off. We have a few more types of consequences that we want to go through. So inshallah, we'll continue those next time we meet.